Thank you, choir. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 3. The third chapter of the Gospel of John is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, so go ahead and make your way there. John, chapter 3. I'm not a big TV watcher except for sports. If it's a you know, game on, uh, you know, college game, or if I'm crying over the Braves or something along those lines, then I'll watch TV if it's sports. But usually much outside of that, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. But if I'm flipping stations and I see a show called Shark Tank that's on, then I have to stop and I have to watch the show. How many of you are Shark Tank fans? Any of you? All right. Not a ton of hands up. So let me just give you a little bit of a premise kind of of what the show is. Basically, the way the show is designed is you've got five uh, uh, extremely rich people that are called the Sharks. They are investors. They have lost more money than most, uh, most of us will ever probably see, and uh, so, so they invest money. Mark Cuban is one of them, for example. He's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks NBA team, and so uh, you've got these five investors, the Sharks, and they're just filthy rich, and what they do is they hear uh, basically entrepreneurs, young startup companies that come in, and, uh, and they make this pitch as to why these investors should back their company financially. And so that's the whole show. And so for about an hour each episode, you'll see five or six different you know, young entrepreneurs coming in, telling why their product is the best, telling why they should you know, come off of their money and financially back them so that they can ultimately make a good living for themselves. And so it's just a really interesting, really, really interesting show. Sometimes you'll see the sharks, will, all five of them will say, you know what, I'm out. I'm, I don't believe in this. I'm not going down this road. I don't think it's going to make money. I'm out. And the person walks away with nothing. Other times you'll see the, the young entrepreneur come in and they'll leave with the deal. You know, they're all smiles and they're all excited because now they've got, you know, a future, they've got a living, they've got a career, and they've got somebody to help them get there. And so it's a really, really interesting show. Well, through seven years of running now, this show has seen a lot of ups and a lot of downs. It's seen a lot of products that have failed, a lot of people that have lost money because they invested, and a lot of people that really hit it big because they invested in the right person and the right thing. One of the best success stories in this whole entire seven-year run of Shark Tank is a product called Scrub Daddy, all right? You ever seen Scrub Daddy? How many of you own a Scrub Daddy? Let me see. And it's not your husband, all right? Okay, you got it. So you put, how many of you wish you had a Scrub Daddy? Let me see your hands. Let us feel like we're on a Shark Daddy here. How many, let's be honest. How many of you wish you had a Scrub Daddy and somebody else in the house would use it for you? Let me see those hands. All right, that's good. Now we're talking. So th- th- let me just give you a quick little story <clears throat> about, about the, uh, the old Scrub Daddy there. Aaron Krause was the founder and CEO of this particular product three years ago. And uh, he came on to Shark Tank. He made his pitch. Here's what he was asking. He was asking for one of those investors to back him for $200,000 in exchange for 20% equity, right? And so he makes, makes his pitch. One of the investors, a lady named Lori Grenier, she ends up, figuratively speaking, reaching into her purse, taking out $200,000 of her own money and saying, I believe in you and I believe in this product and I'm going to give $200,000 of my own money to help see this happen in exchange for 20% equity. Well, over the course of three years now, this product has earned seven, uh, $75 million in revenue. And so what has happened is Lori Grenier, the shark, is a bigger shark now, right? Because she has made a ton of money off of this particular investment. Uh, we can take the picture off now because it's creeping me out just a little bit. So we can take that down. <clears throat> so here, <clears throat> here's, the, 
Here's the thing. Whenever you think about investing, <laughs> this sounds like a sales pitch, I know, but I promise you it's going to go a different direction. Just a second. That whenever you think about investing, regardless of whether it's financial in nature or whether it's in some other area of our lives, when you think about investing, there is a very simple principle that comes with investing, and it's this. That investing ultimately means that we give up something in the present in order to gain something of greater value in the future. In other words, we give up something today that is valuable to us in exchange for something in the future that we hope to come that's going to be of greater value than what we just gave up. For the shark, right, Lori Grenier, she gave up something of value, $200,000 worth of value, but she ultimately gained something in the future of greater value. That's called an investment. And at the very heart of who we are, here's what we need to understand, that at the heart of who we are, every single one of us seated in this room today are investors in our lives. Every one of us. It doesn't just mean that you invest in some type of a savings plan or that you invest in, you know, some stocks or 401k or, you know, you've got your retirement portfolio and all that stuff out. It doesn't mean just that. That is a part of it. But we invest in other areas in our lives as well. And at the heart of who we are, every single one of us seated in this place today are investors in life. Let me, let me give you an example. You invest in your health. Some of you get up 6.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, right? Some of you were up bright and early this morning and you were running down, you know, some road on this island in the rain, you know, because you're investing in your health. You get up and you lift, you push away from the table, right, at times because you're investing in your health. You're giving up something like donuts and, and banana pudding and all those kind of things that you're probably going to blow it later on today when you eat. You, you push away from all those things, right? Because you're investing today, you're giving up something today in order for down the road, you'll be able to get something of greater value. How many of you are in a spin class, for example? Yeah, any of you in a spin class? Bicycling? That's what, this is like deer in the headlights right here. This is the, I can tell, this is the least healthy group of the whole entire three services we're going to have. <laughs> spin class. Man, I've heard about spin class. I've never gone. I don't know if I'm going to. Because here's what happens. You're in a dark room, and you're, 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 there's a lot of yelling and screaming and a lot of loudness, a lot of chaos. And I've got three kids at home. I get that for free, okay? So I don't have to go to spin, spin class and kill myself to get that. But, but in other words, you're investing in your health. You're giving up something today so that you'll gain something of greater value tomorrow. Some of you have invested in your, have invested in your career, right? You gave up time. It was called high school. It was called college. It was called trade school. It was called grad school, right? It was getting a doctorate. And you, maybe you're even still paying for student loans today. Because in the present, back there, you said, I'm going to give up something valuable, my time, my freedom, my, my finances, so that down the road, I can be able to enjoy something better of greater value. And some of you are now further down that road and you're experiencing the return on your investment, so to speak. You've got a great career. You've got a wonderful job. You love what you do. And it's because you invested something back then. You gave up something in the present to gain something of greater value in the future. You, you've invested in your families, right? There are some of you, I'd be, I'd be, I think it'd be safe to say, some of you have turned down certain jobs, certain opportunities that have come your way because of an investment in your family. You've said, you know what, this is going to cost me too much in my family, and so I have chosen to, to give up certain things so that I can have something of greater value down the road. Some of you left careers to stay home to raise your children. I'm not saying it's wrong if you don't do that. I'm just saying it's an investment that you made. You chose to say, I'm going to give up this paycheck on an annual basis and this career so that I can get something that I feel is greater value down the road in my family. See, every one of us are investors. Every single one of us make investments in life. 
Well, this morning, we're going to start off, and we are starting off, a brand new series that I really hope you'll come back for. It's not going to be a real long series, just, just a few weeks. And the title of the series is Investing Wisely. And what we're going to look at are different areas of our lives where we make investments that maybe we've never really thought of in those terms. We've never really thought, well, this is an investment where I'm giving up something today to get something of greater value tomorrow. And through this series, beginning, the sun, beginning today, we're going we're gonna to look at what it means to invest wisely in different areas of our lives. And this morning, we're kicking this series off with a message entitled, Investing in Eternity. Investing in Eternity. There are three big questions in life that rattle through the minds of most every single person at some point in their life. Those three big questions are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going when I die? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going when I die? In John chapter 3, Jesus meets up with a man named Nicodemus. And in some form or fashion, those three big questions come up. And it's a reminder for us that all three of those questions are dealt with by every single person, potentially in history, at some point in our lives. Nicodemus, you'll find a story here in John chapter 3. You already see it on the overhead. John 3, we see his story, and Jesus is in conversation with him. Just go ahead and read with me here, beginning in verse 1. He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Let me just pause there for a second. Nicodemus was one who uh, was very influential in Jewish circles. He was a part of a group called the Sanhedrin because he was a religious leader in Jewish circles in the first century, Jesus's day. He was a part of this group, this elite group that called the Sanhedrin that was about 70 men that kind of ruled over the spiritual affairs of the nation of Israel. So, so you can imagine for Nicodemus, he was probably a little bit advanced in years. He'd kind of, you know, earned that position of respect. He was one that was very influential. He was one that was probably fairly well off. I mean, he probably, you know, did not have many needs in life. He was one with prestige. He had power. I mean, he he had influence. He he pretty much had everything, right? He was at a great place in his life. And it says here that that Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, verse 2, it says, this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why. You know, he may have come by night because it was, uh, you know, something that would have been embarrassing to him. If his friends had, the other 69 guys in the Sanhedrin had seen him talking to Jesus, right? This radical person who come along that had claimed to be God. If they had seen him talking to Jesus, they may have just kind of kicked him to the curb and said, you know what? You're not able to be in the Sanhedrin anymore. Some say he came to Jesus at night because of that, to save face. Others say he came to Jesus at night because it was just, you know, just he had less distraction. Jesus was probably less interrupted in, in the evening. Regardless, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he begins to have this conversation. And you can start to see the big three questions begin to roll out, right? Jesus, people say that, that you, you've come from God, right? We know where you've come from. But then he begins to talk about matters of his own heart. And it's interesting because in verse 3, Jesus cuts right to the chase. And it's one of the things I love when we read about Jesus' conversations in the, in the New Testament. He oftentimes just cut right to the, to the chase, right to the heart of the issue. And he says here in verse 3, he says, Nicodemus, he says, no one can ultimately see the kingdom of God. Verse 3, let's go back. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is first born again. And what Jesus does here is he introduces a prerequisite, right? A couple of things that are necessary. Let's move on to verse 4. 
So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now Nicodemus is, is asking a question that sounds very logical. Most of us, when we read this, honestly, let's just be honest for a second, we're thinking, what kind of a knucklehead is Nicodemus, all right? This man's old enough. He should understand that no one can ultimately be like physically reborn again. I mean, that's probably not what Nicodemus is going for here. Most likely what Nicodemus is saying is, all right, Jesus... You and I both know I'm an older man, and the time for me to kind of like have a start over, clean slate, kind of like do things differently, is probably long since past. See, Jesus had talked about the kingdom of God, and when he talked about the kingdom of God, he was talking about the reign of God in a person's life. The reign of God, not only here and now where he is in control of a person's life, but ultimately for all of eternity, where God calls the shots in our lives. Nicodemus was at a place in his life, most likely, where he's saying, you know what, I can't be like born all over again. This is not going to happen for me. Verse 5, so Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, if you're going to be in a place in your life, and this is for every one of us, where you can honestly say that God is in control of every part of my life, that he reigns in my life today and through all of eternity, if you're going to be at that place, Nicodemus, here's what's going to have to happen. One, you've got to be born of the water. In other words, you've got to be physically born once. And it sounds odd, but there's really a strong statement there because there are some religions that believe that we all have existed eternally, right, forever and ever before. No, what the scripture teaches is there was a place in time where you were conceived and birthed and born into existence, Okay, And when that happened, your life began. Now, God knew everything he wanted to do. Listen, he knew everything he wanted to do in your life and through your life for eternity past. But there was a point in time where you and I had to be born physically. Obviously, that's a no-brainer. Jesus said, you've got to be born of the water, but you've also got to be born of the Spirit. In other words, there has to be such a radical reorientation to happen in your life, Nicodemus, that if you're going to be able to experience the reign of God in your life, not only today, but also throughout all of eternity, there has has to be a radical change in your life to where you're not just born physically, but you're reborn to such a degree where everything changes so much that it's as though you have experienced a rebirth. It's like you've been born all over again. And I know when we hear that phrase, born again, we all, you know, some of us at least, we kind of go back to the 70s, right? You think about, you know, the, 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 the billboards and the signs. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for you, but we kind of have to move past that and just remember that born again is a, is, is a phrase that comes right out of scripture 2,000 years ago. And it highlights perfectly what has to happen in a person's life for us to have a relationship with God, for us to be able to say, you know what, his kingdom reigns in my life today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and for all of eternity. Verse 6 and verse 7, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So verse 7, he says, do not be amazed, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born again. At this point, the conversation is probably so overwhelming for Nicodemus, it's as though his jaw's on the ground, right? And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, don't be amazed at this. This is the way it has always been. You and every person created need a relationship with God in order to know him forever. Verse 8. Or let's move on to the next slide. I'm sorry. Let's move ahead just a little bit. In Isaiah 59, what we find is that the Old Testament helps us to see why we need that reorientation. Look at what it says here, verse 2 in this chapter. Isaiah the prophet says, Your iniquities have made a separation 
between you and your God. In other words, there is a great gulf between us. When we're born and we get old enough to understand that we have sinned before God, what we begin to understand is there is a great gulf between us and God. Isaiah the prophet said that 1700 year, or 2,700 years ago. He says, and your sins have hidden his face from you. In other words, listen, this is very, very important. We have to understand that we don't have an automatic relationship with God. Nicodemus thought he did. Nicodemus thought, you know what, I'm a Jew, I'm a ruling Jew, I'm an influential Jew, I'm a Jewish leader, I have been in Jewish circles for my whole entire life, I have achieved a position of prominence, certainly I'm right with God. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 Nicodemus, you have to be born again of the Spirit of God. There has to be something that happens in your life that ultimately brings you to a place to where your sins have been forgiven. Because, Nicodemus, your sin has separated you from God, regardless of your position, regardless of your power. And you know what? The same is true for every single one of us. There's not a one of us in this room today who can say, I'm right with God because my mom and dad were Christians. I'm right with God because I was raised in a Christian home. I'm right with God because my grandfather, my grandmother you know, loved me and pointed me, you know, towards Christian truths. We can't say we have a relationship with God because of that. There's not a one of us that can say, well, I have a relationship with God because I go to church or because I give or because I give a lot or because I do good or because I do good a lot, right? None of us can say that. None of us have an automatic ticket, a fast pass, so to speak, to heaven. None of us do. It's like when you go to Disney World. You ever been to Disney World or Six Flags or Dollywood or wherever, and you pay a little extra money, and you get this thing called a fast pass, right? And it's great, because when you've got the fast pass, you can just like snub your nose at everybody else behind you, all those little weaklings, right? You've got the fast pass. You get to ride the roller coaster ahead of all of them, right? You get to go up, fa- up first, because you've got the fast pass. Here's what happens. A lot of us think we've got the fast pass to a relationship with God, because I have been in church, because I do live a good life, because my good does outweigh my bad. Here's the problem. It was a problem for Nicodemus, and it's a problem for every single one of us, that that fast pass does not exist. None of us are right automatically with God. None of us can say, because of where I was born, or who I was raised by, or because I've been to church, or any of those things, that I'm right with God. Not a single one of us. Nicodemus is beginning to understand this, and in the conversation, we'll move ahead to verse 14. Here's what we find. We find that Jesus begins to turn the attention to what it does take for a person to have a relationship with God. And it's in this context that we find the most famous verse in all the Bible. Verse 14, Jesus refers back to the Old Testament to Nicodemus. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that was a reference to himself, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus says, Nicodemus, if you want to have a relationship with God, it's not going to come because of your heritage or because of your position in life. It's going to come when you come to a place to where you believe in the Messiah, believe in Jesus. Nicodemus could say, when you believe in me, in such a radical way that it can be said that I am now the Lord of your life. A couple of chapters before John 3, we find John's recognition of Jesus. Notice what he says here. He says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 
that as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. I have never been strong in math, right? I'll be honest. Sorry to all the math teachers here. I hated math, and I still can't stand it to this day. But I love the equation that's wrapped up in this particular verse. Look at what it says. Believe plus receive equals become. All three of those words right there in John 1 verse 12. That when we come to a place to where we honestly can say, I believe in Jesus Christ, not just intellectually, but that I believe him to the point to where I'm willing to entrust my life to him. I'm I'm willing to entrust my eternity to him. That when I believe who he is, that he's God, what he did, that he came and he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. When I believe all that to the point to where I'm willing to entrust myself to him, to the point to where I receive him. And and I'm able to say with every fiber of who I am, the best that I can, Lord Jesus, I want you to come and I want you to forgive me and I want you to take over my life and I want you to be Lord of me and my future and everything that I uh, of everything that I am that when we do that when we believe in him and then we receive him according to scripture John 1 12 there is a transformation that takes place that I can't fully explain but we then become a part of the family of God we become a child of God we become in relationship with God and that relationship he will never ever ever allow to be severed broken or given away It's for all of eternity. Jim Elliott is a name that some of you probably recognize. He was a missionary to Ecuador. 60 years ago this year, his life ended as a martyr on a beach there in Ecuador. He had gone to present the gospel with four other missionary men. And as a result of the hostility of the very tribe they were trying to reach, they were killed right there on the water's edge. Jim Elliott would capture in his journal before his death a saying for which he's become very, very famous that in many ways comes right out of the pages of Scripture when he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep investment who gives today what he cannot keep in order to, down the road, gain what he cannot lose. It's reflective of the words of Jesus when he said in Luke 9 that if anyone would be my disciple, he must first deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, when we talk about believing in Christ, it's not just an easy believe where we just say, oh, yeah, I believe in you, God. I remember being being in California once and having a conversation with a guy about the gospel. And I mean, I was talking about God and he was all into it. Just, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. That's right. You know, and I mentioned Jesus. And he said, I'm not so much into the Jesus stuff. <laughs> you know what? You can't have both. You can't have God, but then also kick Jesus to the curb. Because if you have no Jesus, you have no God. I mean, the Bible's already sort of set the parameters. We can't change that. It's Jesus who came and died and gave his life and rose again in order to pay the penalty of our sin. Just like Eric said before, it's he who, who paid that penalty. And we're, if we're going to have a relationship with God, it always runs through the person of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a kid, it was my mom who had the greater impact on me as a, as a Christian uh, my dad had an influence a lot of different ways, and to a degree, he had an influence when he was older, and, and older for me as well, uh, on my spiritual life. But really, as a kid, it was my mom who had the greater influence. And I, I vividly remember one point in, uh, when I was a kid, I was probably eight years old or so, and I remember she was cleaning out a bookshelf upstairs at our house where we lived. And uh, as she was cleaning out that bookshelf, she took down a book by Corey Ten Boom titled The Hiding Place. 
And I don't remember all the details of the conversation, but I remember that it, that was the stepping stone that she used. And it wasn't the first time she had told me about Jesus, but it was the one that really stuck. And she used that context of Corey Ten Boom's story. She, had, had, she and her family had hidden Jews. Corey Ten Boom's family had hidden Jews during World War II. She would ultimately be placed in a concentration camp herself. Uh, through her relationship with Christ, she would eventually be released and would go on to speak far and wide about the message of the gospel. And my mom told me her basic story, and she said, you know what, Brooks, that if you want to have a relationship with God, and if you want to go to heaven one day and spend spend forever with him, then you need to be willing to ask him to come into your life and to take over. And as a little kid, I still vividly remember, I went out in my backyard, we had this kind of a big concrete area, and we had a basketball goal out there, and I still vividly remember I had my basketball with me, and if I could take you to this yard today, I could take you just about right to the spot. And I went out of that, in that concrete, and uh, the best that a little kid could, I did what my mom said as an act of my own will. And I asked Jesus to do exactly what she said he could, to come into my life and to take over. And you know what? Ever since that day, there have been quite a few ups and downs along the way. It's been a long time. And ever since that time, I can honestly say it's the one decision that I've ever made that will last forever. It's a decision to choose, to believe, and to receive. The Lord Jesus Christ, as not just the Lord, but my Lord. Hey, you've made a lot of investments in your life, haven't you? You've invested in a lot of ways, financially, your health, your career, your relationships. But I wonder, how much time have you spent thinking about investing in eternity? And how much time have you spent wondering what that day may be like when you stand before God one day? after your life comes to an end on this earth. At that point, all bets are off because it won't be a time for us to decide who we're going to choose to follow. At that point, it'll be a time where it's revealed who we have chosen to follow. There is no guarantee for any of us that tomorrow will come. And so there's no better time than today to make sure in your heart that you know what? When it comes to the Lord of my life, I know whose mine is, and it's Jesus, because I have chosen to believe and to receive him as my own. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, with no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking but myself, I want to ask you, if you, cho- if you believe this morning that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God, and that he came, and that he did die, and that he did rise again from the dead, And if you believe with all your heart that you have sin in your life that needs to be forgiven, that if you stood before God today, you're not sure that you'd be ready. But this morning that you're at a place where you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to, the best that I can this morning, turn from my sin. And I'm ready to pray today right where I sit and ask Jesus to to come into my life, just like Brooks said, to forgive me and to, to take over from this day forward. I'm ready to exchange the life that I have to give it up as I know it, and to let him have my life from this day forward. If you're ready to make that kind of an investment in eternity, and if you've never given your life to Christ before, you know, I wonder if you might not do what three or four or five did last night. If you would just raise your hand, I won't pinpoint you, I won't point you out. If you'll just raise your hand and say, you know what, today I'm ready to give my life to Jesus for the very first time. Just lift your hand up, put it right back down. Would there be anyone? One, any others? Two, three, four, any others? If you're at a place where you're ready to give your life to Christ, I want you to do something. With every, again, every, every eye closed, 
I want you to simply pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's not like you have to say the words exactly right. You know, God is not a magician. God is a God who created you. He knows your heart. And what's most important is the, is the position of your heart. And I'm going to pray a little prayer. And if your desire this morning is to give your life to Jesus, to make that radical change to where he is inviting, you're inviting him to be Lord and Savior of your life, then just pray this prayer to Jesus after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that you are God and that you came and that you died and that you rose for me. And today, as an act of my will, I turn from my sin and I invite you to come into my life to take over, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Help me to live each day for you for your glory. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. With eyes closed, heads bowed still, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to do something for me in the next couple of minutes. In just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you would, if you just take just a moment to take one of those connection cards and to check the box on the reverse side of that, that today you prayed to give your life to Christ. And just to list on that card some way that we can contact you. Here's what we want to do. We're not going to try to badger you or to force you in anything, I promise. But we want to follow up with you and we want to pray for you and we want to encourage you. And we want to share with you some next steps that you may want to consider to help you now to begin to grow in this new relationship with Christ. As we collect the offering in just a couple of minutes, you can drop that card in the plate. God, we thank you this morning for those that have chosen for the very first time to give their lives to Jesus. Lord, what a what a great invitation that is. Lord, there's no better invitation, there's no better investment in all the earth than to give up our lives today and to find, Lord, that you're going to bless us, that you're going to take care of us, that you're going to be with us, and when it's all said and done, that we have heaven that's wait, waiting. And so, God, I thank you for those that have raised their hand, that have prayed to give their lives to Jesus for the very first time. And, Lord, I would understand, I'm sure, that across this group this morning of this size, that there are others that maybe weren't sure and they just sort of nailed it down today. God, I pray that regardless, that each of us will take seriously our walk with you, that we will enjoy you for who you are. You're a God who is for us and not against us. And Lord, as we sing to you now, help us to sing praises with authenticity. And God, help us to worship you for who you are. And for those that still have a decision to make, Lord, help them to make it during this time that we have. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's